This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allows members to request future stories and themes. Thank you for listening. This podcast contains mature content and is intended for an adult audience only. It contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of all stories is fiction with any similarities to real people or events being purely coincidental. This podcast is not intended for anything but entertainment of the listener, and if you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. Love's Curse by Catanceris Chapter 01 the crowds erupted in cheers as their beloved Prince Ares rode into their great city. In his wake his royal guards followed, many injured but still heads held high in strong pride. They had conquered yet another warring rival, their prince was a true strength for them. His only bad point was his arrogance, as of late. They had defeated so many aggressors and rebels that he was becoming more overconfident by the battle. Many feared that soon there would be an enemy that he would underestimate too much and suffer a loss he could not afford to take. The crowds parted before him to reveal an ambassador sitting on the steps. She came from the province that had just been defeated in battle. They had taken heavy losses and she wished for peace so that no more blood would be shed. The prince knew her to be a shrewd ambassador, commonly known for causing a distraction, while her troops snuck into a city and took their enemies by surprise. He slid off his mount and waved to his adoring subjects before turning and addressing the ambassador. Speak, Crone. I will make a decision within this time so as not to give you any chance of bringing in your forces. Yes, I know of your treachery and your ambassador status is the only thing that prevents me from slaying you at this very moment. Ares stood firm before her with his arms crossed awaiting her answer. Her eyes narrowed. Zitomura was not happy that her people had been defeated but she would teach this arrogant prince and his people a lesson they would never forget. He looked down at Zitomura and acted like he was losing his patience. Well if you have nothing to say to me, perhaps I should simply eradicate your people from the face of the planet? He walked towards a large spire in the center of the plaza, the light glinting off the length of the central energy rod. The spire was easy to recognize as a weapon of war, one that should only be used as a last resort and never for the genocide of a defeated people. It was called the Hammer of the Gods with good reason. It had the ability to create lightning storms at any location within the power range with catastrophic results for the victims. Zydomira's eyes widened. If you do that I will see you curse for all time, you arrogant whelp! She snarled and struggled against her bonds. They might not have been able to do much to her but they had bound her to keep her from killing their beloved prince. Oh really Zitomira? You are old and helpless now. Your powers mean nothing to my royal blood. You are a mere peasant with a talent for distraction. Your bloodthirsty horde will be exterminated so they may not rape another land. You have bitten off more than you could chew this time. The prince slid his arm into the control panel, feeling the sensors connect to his limbs as he activated the power flow. Along the length of the spire energy began to crackle, up and down, like a beast chained to a collar. The crowd began to sing holy praise as they watched the spire charge. All we need is lightning, with power and might. Striking down the prophets of false. The prince smirked at Zitomira and threw her a look that showed he considered her less than dirt, and shouted to the crowd as he initiated the firing sequence. Hallelujah! Energy erupted skywards, curving slowly towards the homeland of Zitomira's people. The survivors would be vaporized with the force of the blast, their evil purged from the world. No! Zydemira's anguished cry was lost in the triumphant roar of the crowd. Her knees buckled and she sank to the ground sobbing. Her heart began boiling with anger and evil. He was a beast. A cruel, spiteful beast. Ares slowly removed his arms as he heard the distant explosion from the horizon. Still smirking he held his arms up for silence and slowly approached her. Now that you are the last of your kind Zitomira, the last of the barbaric bandits who have terrorized countless peoples for centuries— I will deal the ultimate punishment. He was standing close to her now, hand outstretched to cast the teleportation spell that would send her far from these lands. You are hereby banished from these lands. Should you ever return, you will be put down, and your people will be lost to the mists of time. Go, and learn from what has happened this day. Rebuild your people and pray that they turn out differently. He closed his eyes and began to speak the spell. Zitomira saw her chance. She muttered a quick spell, felt her bonds break and leaped on him. She clapped her hands on both his arms. I hereby curse you, almighty Prince Ares. You shall become a beast in truth. You will be scorned and feared. I curse your true shape and twist it into a visage of fear and loathing. I curse you! She shouted. He screamed as her power flowed through his body, mixing and morphing it and his essence. His form began to ripple and change as wings formed on his back. His hands grew into long sharp claws and his face contorted to a vile fong-filled vision of despair. The horrified screams of the general populace was deafening as pandemonium broke out. Zitomira cackled, her voice full of madness. You will remain cursed until the essence of your other half recognizes you in truth. She must discover the truth on her own. If this never occurs you will live and die as a beast. Those words were her last as her face contorted in agony when Ares drove a clawed arm through her midsection. 
Her eyes widened but instead of shock there was only acceptance as she drew her final breath and died. Ares, now turned beast, roared and spread his wings heading skywards towards his palace. Chapter 02 As the light of dusk fell upon the kingdom, leathery wings took to flight through the growing night, heading straight for the sacrificial post where he knew there would be prey awaiting. The villagers had securely bound her ankles and hands. The young blonde screamed for help and when screaming failed, begged to be saved. But none came. They all cowered in the nearby bushes and prayed that fate would spare her. Prince Ares landed with the soft clicking of talons upon cobblestones. Gradually he advanced upon the maiden, his claws extending as his long tongue slithered across his lips. She shrieked in fear and jerked frantically but the chains held. Get away you foul beast! His claws ripped away her flimsy dress in an easy movement, exposing her virginal body to the cold night air as a fine mist of rain began to fall. Slowly the prince stepped forward between her legs, his long, horrid-looking shaft snaking out of his pants as if it were alive, heading straight for her core. She shrieked again. He was so huge. How was he going to fit all that in her? She didn't want this. She tried to squeeze her legs closed but her ankles had been bound in such a way that her core was open to his invasion. His eyes blazed as she tried to move and his claws flashed in front of her face in warning. His member slithered against her opening, worming its way inside her, stretching her to her limit. It was too much for her first time but the prince cared not, he pushed farther, deeper inside. Quenching his lust was the only thing on his mind. The pain was excruciating as his member literally tore her open. Her scream of agony echoed in the sudden stillness of the area as her family, neighbors and friends watched the violation of her body. His hips began to move back and forth with determination, grunting and sniffing around her neck. As his arousal grew higher, his member swelled more, opening up her cervix forcefully as the head of his shaft seated itself deep in her womb. He intended to impregnate this sacrifice. She continued screaming in that agonized wail that eventually died down. The girl gave a strangled breath and then breathed her last. The prince looked down at the girl and withdrew with a roar from her corpse. What is the meaning of this? He stalked across the cobblestones to where the head of the village was cowering and lifted him from the ground in a claw. You call that a sacrifice? One who barely lasts two minutes? You will bring me another sacrifice? And she had better be able to last, or you will not like the consequences. The prince dropped the mayor and glared at him, watching him scurry off. His eyes turned and took in the sight before him. He stared at one particular eighteen-year-old maiden. His enormous member swung lewdly between his legs as he approached her and snorted. How many men have you bedded, wench? She yelped in fear and ran behind her mother who looked at the prince in fright. He stalked after her and easily pushed her mother out of the way. Well? Answer me, wench. Five. She gasped. Her mother gave an indignant snarl and slapped the girl, knocking her to the ground. The prince moved in a blur and had the mother lifted above the ground in the blink of an eye. It is people like you that caused my rage to rise. Perhaps if the sacrifice had slept with some real men she would have been able to handle me. Perhaps I should see just how well you would handle a crone. The woman fainted on the spot and the mayor gave a weak protest. Prince Ares dropped the crone and turned to the mayor with an impatient growl. If you do not have an acceptable sacrifice then I will go through women till I find one who can. And I will start with your daughter. The villagers gasped in horror. Of course, my lord prince. The prince looked around, his annoyance visible now. Well? Where is she? We need two days, sire. We must scour every corner of the village, and that includes those in the outer areas. Please, I humbly ask for the time to do so. The prince glared down at the mayor. You have one day, till then I will make do with your daughter. Please. She is under eighteen and has not known a man. Please, sire. The prince was becoming increasingly angry now and picked up the woman he had first spoken to. You are fortunate I believe in waiting till they come of age. You have until this time tomorrow. Or else. With that said, he took to flight heading for his palace once more. Chapter 03 Lalandra stood at the edge of the forest and stared at the place she called home. Not that it was much of a home. Not since her mother had died at any rate. She had just turned eighteen five days ago, and now she worried more. Her father's behavior was becoming more and more disturbing. She longed to be free but that would never be because he watched her like a hawk. She knew he was hoping to pawn her off on some guy that had money, and if it were any of those in the village she knew she'd rather die than be married to such burrs. Her mother had taught her to dream of better things and such things were not to be found in her home, or in the village. The harsh roar of her father's irate voice emanating from the house however interrupted her thoughts. Lilandra! I thought I told you to have dinner ready by the time I got back from the north side. And why the hell is the fire not stoked up yet? You've had a whole three hours to get it done. Get in here right now! His roar startled her. She flinched before dropping her head and hurrying to the house. She had not been paying attention to the time when she ventured into the forest to pick blackberries for the jam she was hoping to make. And now she was in trouble. Again. She ran the last few feet and skidded to a halt before her father. She clutched her nearly overflowing basket to her chest. Her eyes only briefly strayed to his face before dropping back down to the ground. Her father's pitch black eyes bored into her face. He looked down at the basket before snatching it from her hands. Angrily he threw it onto the huge kitchen table, berries spilling over its surface. I tell you to have dinner ready and this is what you do. Go and pick berries instead of cooking the freshly slaughtered pig? What do you think I am, a rabbit? 
His anger was pure and seething, his face red from both his rage and a hard day in the sun. When I tell you to have dinner ready I expect it to be done. I work all day to keep a roof over our heads and appease our lord and this is how you repay me. Perhaps I should send you to him to learn some respect? She flinched again, her eyes still on the ground as she swallowed hard. She wasn't sure what to say to appease him. Father, please, no. She whispered. Her heart was racing and she prayed that his anger would cool quickly. This seemed only to anger her father more so, his hand rising into a position to strike her down with a hard blow from the back of his hand. You think to tell me what I can and cannot do? How dare you disrespect your father in such a way? Do you wish to be sent out on the next wagon? She saw his hand rise and she hastily took a step back, her head snapping up in her fear. No, father! I'm sorry I meant no disrespect, she pleaded. She had said the wrong thing again. Reluctantly he lowered his hand, his eyes burning with pent-up fury now. You have one hour to clean up this mess and have my dinner ready or you will feel the taste of the birch. He moved away from her and stomped through the house, slamming the kitchen door. She let out a shaky breath. She cautiously entered the house. Her eyes furtively looked about to make sure he had truly gone through the kitchen and into another part of the house. She didn't shed the tears that stung at her eyes. Instead, she hurriedly scooped up the spilled berries and moved the offending basket over to the side out of the way and out of her father's sight. Hastily, she searched the cupboards for things to cook. She found several potatoes that she peeled and tossed into the giant black pot of water. She quickly stoked the fire and began cutting up the carrots and greens that she also found. Once they were added to the water and boiling, she went outside to finish skinning and cleaning the pig her father had killed. She cut it into the appropriate sections, three big ones for her father and brothers, two medium-sized ones for her sisters-in-law, and then finally a modest-sized one for herself. She put them on the large platter and headed inside to the oven. She stoked the fire in it and placed the slabs inside. She leaned against the wall for a second and closed her eyes. She was now hot, sweaty, and stank of pig's blood but at least dinner was cooking. She still had four loaves left from yesterday's baking that she could serve. She hoped it would be enough. From upstairs came a squeal of delight that Lilandra recognized as her sister-in-law Trina. Her father held the timely tradition that while living under his roof his sons were to share their wives with him. The ceiling creaked as the sounds of Trina landing on the bed and the almost clockwork sounds of her father, Victor moving atop her. He was loud and animalistic. His grunts of effort were punctuated by the erotic moans of the young wife. The deep grunting laughter of Victor, as he had his wicked way with his daughter-in-law accompanied each surprise squeal. Lilandra squeezed her eyes shut and covered her ears but it couldn't keep the sounds out. With a disgusted snort she ran from the house and outside to the garden. At least out here she wouldn't have to hear them. She grabbed a basket and began pulling up turnips and some lettuce. She could add them to the soup as well. She finished, stood and dusted herself off. She went back inside, heard the noises still coming from upstairs and promptly put the turnips and lettuce into the water and hurried back outdoors. She looked at the barn. She'd better make sure they had milk on the table. Her father didn't care much for water. Only his alcohol and his milk. Snatching up a pail she went to milk one of their three cows. Her brother should be coming in from the field soon. As if on cue the sounds of horses could be heard coming down the dirt road, accompanied by out-of-tune singing. Obviously Jacob and Josiah had been at the still before heading home. The wagon behind them bounced and jostled, spilling a bit of hay on the particularly deep ruts in the road. The lander was almost in the barn when she heard the wagon and grimaced at their bad singing. She ducked inside the barn and sat down to milk Ginger, one of the younger cows they owned. She always produced a lot of milk. The wagon rattled to a halt outside and the barn door was pulled open by Josiah. Jacob, who had heard his father from outside, snorted and muttered. That old fart gets her more than I do these days. He turned and his eyes fell upon his sister. Well, if I can't have a my wife, I guess I'll just have to take some homegrown pussy, won't I? He moved towards Lilandra, staggering slightly and chauvinistically pawed at her firm buttocks. Come on, Lily, put out for your big brother, eh? Lilandra leaped back away from him. Stay away from me, Jacob! Josiah conveniently blocked the door, a lurid grin across his face. Jacob advanced upon her, hands still groping, now trying to undo her dress. I don't be like that, sis. I only want a bit of love. You can't be that cold-hearted, can you? Get off me! She screamed and tried to push him off. When that failed, she did the only thing she could think to do. She kneed him hard in the crotch. Jacob's face went still a moment. The next he was crumpling to the ground, cradling his groin. Josiah took that moment to burst into a fit of giggles at the unfortunate events that happened to his brother and had to lean on the doorframe to keep upright. Lilandra took advantage of the situation, grabbed the full pail, raced past her two brothers and out the barn. She didn't stop running until she was at the kitchen door. She was forced to try to catch her breath, and then she bit back a curse when she saw that she had spilled about half of the milk. Father was not going to like this at all. She opened the door and went inside. She let out a yelp when she saw that the vegetable soup was boiling over. Oh no! She grabbed a towel and a ladle and pulled the cauldron away from the fire. She stirred the vegetables, but some of them had begun to burn at the bottom of the pot. Nothing was going right for her this day. The room upstairs had gone quiet, filled with the sounds of post-mating. The bed creaked above Lilandra once more, dust falling from the ceiling as her father got out of bed. A few moments later came the clumping sounds of his heavy boots coming down the stairs, followed by the soft patter of Trina's petite form. The kitchen door burst open, her father seeming calmer than before, but not by much. Time's up Lilandra so serve up the meal. 
He glanced at the clock and frowned in puzzlement, growling now. And where the hell are those two slackers? It shouldn't take more than five minutes to load that wagon. Yes, father. She muttered obediently as she went about setting the table with bowls, spoons, and knives. Trina stood by and didn't offer to help. Another set of footsteps was heard as Samantha came downstairs, scratching at her armpit as she looked about the room. What did I miss? She demanded as she rubbed the sleep from her eyes. Nothing. It's dinner time. Trina pointed out just as muted cursing reached their ears. Samantha giggled and went to the table and sat down. The kitchen door handle rattled a moment before it swung open, Jacob being supported by Josiah as he was helped into the room. They both stunk of moonshine and Victor's face began to turn purple with rage. What in hell have you two been doing? I told you both to come straight home after loading that wagon. I bet you spilled half the goddamn load cause you weren't watching out for potholes and you both stink of M.Y. moonshine. What the hell were you thinking? You could have wrecked my damn wagon half piss like that. What V you got to say for yourselves? The brothers were silent, too drunk to think up a speedy explanation so Jacob resorted to shifting his father's fury. I can't quite remember. I slipped on the big puddle of milk Lalandra threw when I offered to help her milk ginger. Then she kicked me and the royal's dad got me good. Victor's eyes shifted back and forth between Jacob and Lalandra, reason sprouting its head a moment to spare his daughter. Oh really? I have a feeling she didn't attack you off Aaron to help milk ginger. That beast hates your guts. His fury bubbled down slightly as he sat at his place and slapped his hand to the table. Sit down and eat, I'll deal with you after dinner. Josiah smirked at his brother once their father's back was turned. He looked at his wife Samantha who gave him a sour look. Trina only smiled as if she knew something he did not. He staggered over to the table and dropped his brother into the nearest seat before sitting down himself. Lalandra had almost panicked when Jacob had blabbed about her spilling milk but when her father hadn't yelled at her she figured she was safe. Quietly she filled their bowls with the soup, placed the sliced bread in the center of the table and took the plates over to the oven to get out the meat. She served her father first, making sure he got his meat and filled his cup with some of the remaining milk. She fed the women next and lastly her two brothers. Once everyone had food she got her own meager portion. She slid into her seat, eyes down on the table and began to eat. Victor brought the spoon to his mouth and took a big gulp of the soup, immediately making a face at the taste, his venomous glare centered once again on his daughter. He spoke quietly as he pushed away the bowl. I'll assume for the moment that the pig I bought and killed for you to cook was somehow allergic to being boiled up in my soup shall I? I told you a hundred times to put some meat in my soup. He sliced a thick chunk of pork off the slab and angrily began chewing. His jaws immediately began to slow, and he looked down at his meat, seeing it was still bleeding in the middle. He spat the mouthful out onto the table and roared. Why the hell is my dinner half-cooked, Lalandra? He pushed out of his chair so fast that it crashed against the back wall, his monstrous bulk moving at a thunderous pace towards his daughter, and once more raised to strike. This time he did not hesitate, or restrain himself but let it fly with a shocking force, knocking her from the chair. She let out a cry of fear as she hit the floor and tried to roll to her feet. Her skirt tangled in her legs and kept her from getting up as quickly as she wanted to. She had learned from past experience if she didn't get to her feet he would pull her to her feet, and it was often worse. This was the case right now, however Lelandra was on her feet only for a moment before he knocked her back down again. His fury fully unleashed. I give you a roof over your head. Ask you to have nothing more than my dinner ready and a fire going. And what do you do instead? Spend hours wandering the forest instead of your chores. She hit the floor harder the second time and let out a whimper. She lay there for a moment trying to breathe for her breath had gotten knocked out of her. It was going to be bad. Maybe she should have just stayed in the forest then none of this would have happened. Papa, please. I'm sorry. She cried. Her father dragged her once more to her feet and out into the yard towards a low fence that had acquired the nickname of the bitching fence. Sorry ain't good enough anymore, Lalandra. You are gonna learn the hard way the consequences of disobeying my simple requests. She knew she shouldn't struggle but she didn't want him to punish her. She was trying so hard and she was tired. Her two sisters-in-law never did anything. She had to wait on them hand and foot and still do all the chores. It wasn't fair. No. 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 She protested, struggling to break free. Her father's grip in her hair tightened and for a third time he slapped her face, bursting her lower lip. Hauling her over to the fence he tied her wrists to the bottom posts with the tough leather thongs that were put there specifically for this task. His plate-sized hand gripped the lower half of her dress and tore it off, letting the cool air caress her exposed body as he strode over to the birch tree nearby and selected a suitable branch. She twisted futilely. She was crying in earnest now. She heard the kitchen door open and heard the giggles of her sisters-in-law and the drunken laughter of her brothers. Of course they would all come out to see the show. The heavy footsteps of her furious father came thudding back towards her. There was only the briefest of whistles before the branch struck her flesh, the searing pain erupting across her flesh like a firestorm. She screamed in pain and the tears streamed down her face. She sobbed brokenly. Please stop. Her father's arm worked back and forth over and over again, bridging her buttocks, thighs and lower back. I'll teach you how to obey one way or another. Remember this night because the next time I'm leaving you out here all night. She was nearly fainting from the fire that raged through her body at the blows. She only wanted it to stop. Oh mommy, she screamed silently in the depths of her soul. Father hadn't been this way when she was alive. The final blow struck, Victor stood panting and threw the branch down, blood coating its surface. 
He loosed the thongs and grabbed her hair, forcing her face upwards to meet his gaze. Next time you'll remember your place, won't you? He stood up and headed towards the house, shouting towards his sons. What the hell are you two laughing at? You're getting up at dawn tomorrow to go fetch all the hay you lost. And you can sleep in the goddamn barn tonight for stealing my drink. Ah, dad. Josiah whined. The wine was met with a blow from Victor. I set out you little thieving shit. He roughly grabbed Samantha by the arm and dragged her towards his bedroom. Hey, sir, I'm coming. Samantha grinned. Of the two women she liked her sex rough. And Victor in this mood was one she enjoyed. Jacob laughed at his brother before stumbling back in the house. Trina rolled her eyes and followed her husband inside. That left Josiah struggling to rise as he wiped the blood off his face. Over by the fence, Lilandra had fallen to the ground near the post. She could feel the blood running down her back but she was too hurt to care. She didn't think she had any tears left but a few ran down her face. It took her a long time but she finally managed to get to her feet and stagger into the house. It was even worse when she made it to her bedroom. She had begun bleeding again but she collapsed onto her pitifully thin straw mattress. A short time after Lilandra had made it to bed, a ruckus could be heard as Victor threw Jacob out of the house to join his brother, shouting, Until you learn to keep your damn hand off my drink you can stay out there. The door was slammed again, and he could be heard stamping upstairs, returning to Samantha who cried out in ecstasy as Victor's hand connected with her firm buttocks. Lilandra cringed. She wanted to escape from this life and these people. But she didn't see any hope of that happening. Ever. Chapter 04 The night slowly crept upon the inhabitants of the small farm. Inside it had finally grown quiet. The normal night creatures were out, and their soft chorus of noise was the only sounds heard. Lilandra lay in the bed, her body aching all over. The blood had since dried but she hadn't tried to remove her clothing, what was left of it. Finally the heat and her inner turmoil drove her from her bed. She snatched up a scratchy wool blanket and wrapped it gingerly around her body. She left her wooden shoes on the floor and crept downstairs. She had one moment of fear when she pressed on the bottom step and it creaked loudly. She froze, her breath catching in her throat. When no one stirred, she hurried outside into the night. She didn't even pay attention to where she was going. She just wanted to get away from her home. It wasn't until she startled a rabbit and it rushed away from her that she looked up. She gulped. She had wandered into the forest without a light. She clutched at the blanket and paid closer attention to where she was going. Fortunately for her it was a full moon and the path was well lit. She knew where she wanted to go. To the lake that lay at the heart of the forest. In the deep, dark shadows of the forest, glimmering eyes watched her closely, interested in this young thing that had entered the forest. As he moved to follow, nothing but the leaves could be heard rustling. The predators and inhabitants of the forest knew better than to come after this being. She made it to her destination. Carefully she unwrapped the blanket from around her. She winced when it rubbed against one of the welts from her beating. She bit her bottom lip to keep from crying out. Dropping the blanket to the ground, she shed her ruined clothes. This time she couldn't hold back her pained cries as the clothing reopened some of the half-closed wounds. The scent of blood perforated the air, the night forest around her seeming to come alive with rustling. Soft growls and glinting eyes could now be seen at the edge of the forest. The hunters had caught her scent. Slowly the wolves emerged from the shadows, closing in to surround Lilandra. Lilandra whirled around when she heard a twig snap. Her eyes grew wide when she saw the wolves. Without another thought she ran for the water and plunged into it. It was cold and she gasped as she treaded the water and moved farther from shore. The wolves continued to come closer, sniffing around the discarded clothes. A few were at the water's edge, about to step in, when their ears pricked and their heads shot upright, all looking in the same direction. The wolves at once bolted from the shore as fast as their legs could carry them, colliding with each other as they left. In the silence that followed, a solitary figure in a stunning evening dress emerged from the shadows, speaking softly. Hark, my lady, the woods can be a treacherous place at night. One does not know what horrors may be lying in wait for them. Lilandra let out a yelp of surprise at this new intruder and threw her arms protectively over her chest as she eyed the figure. He was handsome and looked rich. What was he doing out in the woods then? Are you lost, sir? She was still self-conscious about her nudity, but her mother had always taught her to be polite. The figure shook his head and looked around the clearing, nudging the ragged clothes that were caked in blood. I frequent these woods often, my lady. Pray tell, have you been bare-fist hunting? Bare-fist, my lord? She didn't understand his question. He definitely had a funny way of speaking. The figure smiled and held his hand up in bald fists, then in a strangling motion. Hunting without a weapon. Your clothes are caked in blood. I thought perhaps you had been the victim of an unfortunate encounter with the wolves that roam these woods. They are very protective of their territory. Even known to attack trained woodsmen. Oh. No, sir. I can barely manage to get my snares to work properly. She admitted, blushing brightly. The figure before her chuckled softly and extended his hand towards her. Please, my lady, you need not be modest around me. There is nothing that I have not seen that a woman can offer. I am simply a man enjoying the quiet of the woods. Indeed the woods were quiet now, not even the usual background noises could be heard, save for the whistling whine through the trees. No owls hooting their messages, no rabbits scuttling in the bushes. Not even insects chirping their nightly chorus. Lilandra blushed an even deeper shade of pink. She didn't know this man. But something about him made her decide to take a chance. 
Besides, the cold water was starting to bother her, and her teeth were beginning to chatter. Slowly she made her way from the water, making sure to keep her back away from his probing eyes. When he gestured for her to turn around you started to balk but reluctantly did so, closing her eyes so that she wouldn't see the pity or possibly even the disgust he might display. He slid his jacket from his shoulders and wrapped it around her to keep the chill from her body. Such a cold night to be bathing, my lady. Especially with such wounds upon your back. Do enlighten me as to how you came to acquire them? She looked down at her feet. It matters not. It was my fault. I will bear my shame and not speak of it. She whispered even as she pulled the jacket closer against her body. Kindness. She'd forgotten what it was like. Her mother had been dead for six years. Six very long, pain-filled years. She closed her eyes to keep from crying over the most precious person she had lost. Softly a perfectly manicured hand touched Lelandra's cheek, gently wiping away a stray tear that had wormed its way out of her eye. He gently lifted her chin to look into her eyes with his own deep caring pools of calm. My lady, if you had done something that deserved such punishment then surely you would be capable of murder. I seem to remember that lashes were reserved only for the worst of criminals. Did you perhaps seduce a man and smother him in your ample bosom? A soft chuckle was heard, showing that he was jesting with Lelandra. Even though she knew he was joking she still blushed. She couldn't help it. This man was strange. Well maybe not in places away from the forest but in her world he was. The men in her life only brought pain and fear. With this stranger she felt safe. I was punished because I failed to do what was asked of me. She admitted. The man before her raised a thin eyebrow, his voice becoming inquisitive. Oh? And what might that have been? She shuffled her feet, now embarrassed. She felt small compared to this man with the commanding presence. She looked away from him and mumbled. I didn't prepare dinner correctly. His voice was cold a moment, but not towards Lelandra. You were beaten so badly simply because you were late with dinner? What kind of a monster would do such a thing? Please, sir. It truly was my fault. If I hadn't been daydreaming. Her eyes grew wide and she clapped a hand over her mouth. She just admitted something private. Now he was really going to think her addled in wits. His face took on an even more shocked look of bewilderment and disgust. Beaten for daydreaming? My lady, this is terrible. How can you bear to stay in such a place? Surely there are those in town who would give you shelter from such a beast? Only if I sell my body. She whispered and then shuddered. The ones who lived in town were a snobby bunch that only did things for two reasons, money or sex. Or both. They never did anything out of the goodness of their hearts. And they especially took great delight in being cruel to those who lived on the outlying farms like her and her family. No, she'd rather be beaten by her father than deal with city folk. Indeed, my lady, ever since the prince was turned to beast the people have become corrupted. It seems Zitomira has left a larger mark than first thought. The figure nodded solemnly, a wave of sadness crossing his face a moment. Lelandra looked at him then. She'd heard that name mentioned when she was younger. Her mother had told her that story. It had made her sad. She couldn't help but think as her mother retold the story that if people were only nicer the world would be better. Corruption has always been and always will be. But it is what we do to not spread it that matters. She replied echoing her mother's words to her so long ago. The figure sighed knowingly and looked into her eyes deeply before flinching slightly and looking worried. I must leave you now my lady, but know that you will have safe passage on your journey home. No animal will dare attack you. He winced now and slid his arms across his ribs before turning and heading for the forest at a run. Wait. Your jacket. She cried but he was already gone. She stared at the spot he had disappeared to inside. She hoped he'd be all right. She looked up and realized that she had to go home. She dreaded the thought but there was no help for it. Home was where she had to go. She looked down at her bloodied clothes and blanket and decided to leave them. She still had one blanket left at home. She started the trip back, her mind on the kind stranger she had left. It took her twice as long to get home because she was dreaming about the man. His handsome face, kind smile and those eyes. The startlingly blue had drawn her in and made her feel special. Wanted. She blinked and with a start realized she was almost halfway up the yard. She turned to look up at the stars in the sky. Night sky, that watches over me. I make one wish and one wish alone. Please help that kind stranger find happiness. She whispered before heading back inside the house. Quietly she crept back upstairs and got back into bed, snuggling the jacket around her. Chapter 05 Josiah stood outside Lelandra's room and smirked. He had awakened in the middle of the night and had snuck into the house to get some food and to fuck his wife. He'd been denied that pleasure because the little slut was in his father's room. So he had made a detour by his sister's room only to find her missing. He had contemplated telling the old man but changed his mind. Instead he'd gone back to the barn to wait. His patience had paid off when he saw her sneaking back into the house. He'd waited a few minutes and then gone inside. Now he stood staring at his sleeping sister. But it wasn't really her he was interested in but rather the very expensive jacket she was wearing. Where in the hell had she gotten that? Had his uptight little sister finally found a man to bang her? He smirked. Father was going to be pissed when he found out. Josiah decided to wait before telling the old man. He wanted to be sure that he was there to watch his sister get punished. The thought made him even hornier. Smiling he crept back out to the barn. The rooster crowed and Josiah and Jacob reluctantly got up and headed out to get the hay. 
Inside the house Trina and Samantha slumbered on. Lilandro woke and in a panic hid the jacket the kind man had given her. It wouldn't do for her father to find it. There would be hell to pay for sure. She got dressed and went downstairs to start breakfast. Victor grunted and shifted in his bed, Trina and Samantha lay naked on either side of him, various marks across both of their bodies from the rough night of fucking. His eyes flickered open when the rooster crowed and he grumbled for a few moments before remembering about the two naked women beside him. He felt his arousal grow as his hands slide across Samantha's buttocks and squeezed firmly. She mumbled in her sleep and moved away from his groping hands. His frown formed into a glare, and he sharply spanked her ass with his large hand, hard enough to turn the skin a rosy red once more. Don't you move away from me, woman! The smack partially woke her up. Go away, Josiah, I'm tired. She muttered her eyes still closed as she rolled farther away, pulling some of the quilt with her. His hand shot out and roughly grabbed her arm, pulling her back as he growled menacingly in her ear. This ain't Josiah, bitch. Finally his voice penetrated through her sleep-fogged mind, and she yelped her eyes finally opened to stare into Victor's face. I'm sorry, she stammered. Victor continued to hold her gaze as his hand slid down to her breast, squeezing harshly. Show me just how sorry you are. Victor rolled onto his back, his long, thick aroused cock pointing skywards. Samantha scrambled to straddle his hips and slid her hot pussy down on his cock. Though she had been acting cowed, she liked the smacks and the roughness. Victor let out a low, deep moan of appreciation, his hand once more spanking Samantha's buttocks. His free hand quickly slid between Trina's legs, finding her center and inserting two thick fingers into her. Trina moved in her sleep, her legs opening slightly to give him better access as she too began to awaken. His technique was rough as usual, thrusting his fingers as deep as he could. He leaned up and buried his face in Samantha's breasts, biting her soft flesh. She cried out and arched her breasts closer to his face while moving up and down on his fat, long cock. Her moans were joined by those of Trina who was fingering her clit and arching her hips so that his fingers would go deeper. He growled his lust, pulling Samantha's nipples hard with his teeth. Several of his love bites on her breasts had drawn small drops of blood. The rhythmic sounds of fucking were punctuated by the hard smack of his hand to Samantha's buttocks, threatening to bruise this time from such force. She didn't mind. His son wasn't as rough as she liked so she had abandoned his bed in favor of Victor's bed A. Victor grunted and tensed below Samantha, his cock swelling within her seconds before he erupted within her with a load of hot thick, creamy cum. She cried out as her body stiffened and she orgasmed with him. She collapsed on top of him, shaking from the after tremors. Oh yes, sex with Victor was the best. A few moments later, Trina's cries of pleasure were heard as she too came. Both lay spent, their eyes on Victor to see what he would do next. Victor took a few moments to catch his breath, staring at the ceiling. Once this had been accomplished he unceremoniously pushed Samantha off of him and climbed out of bed to wash up and dress. Ten minutes later he was shaved, gruff-tempered and ready to tear somebody a new arsehole. Lalandra busied herself in the kitchen, making sure to create enough noise to drown out her father and sisters-in-law. Thankfully the noise stopped and she finished cooking the eggs. She placed the rest of last of night's bread on the table and waited on the family to show. Victor stepped into the kitchen, banging the door open and slapping the table with his hand as he sat down at his place. Remember what I said would happen if you screwed up again Lalandra? She jumped at the loud noise. Yes, sir. She whispered and sat the porridge in front of him along with the cooked apples and eggs. Victor dug into the meal laid before him, taking time to taste it, searching for an excuse to punish his daughter again. Where's my milk? She blanched. She hadn't milked the cows. She began backing away from the table. I'll go get it. She stammered before she whirled, grabbed the pail and raced out to the barn. Victor's rage began to rise again, his fist clenching as he waited on his daughter returning. Angrily, he consumed the rest of his porridge and apples before starting on the eggs and bread. She made it to the barn and hurriedly milked one of the cows. She was afraid. How could she have forgotten that he liked milk in the morning? She was a little too rough, and the cow mooed loudly. Sorry, old girl. She apologized. She picked the pail back up and quickly made her way back to the house. She grabbed a ladle and spooned milk into the cup until it was full. Trembling, she approached the table and handed her father the cup. He snatched it from her hand, spilling a little on the table and took a swig, swirling the liquid round in his mouth before putting the cup down on a dry area. Clean that up and get some wood for the fire. Get it nice and hot. I've got a method that'll show everyone just how worthless you are at simple tasks. He left the room with an unpleasant look on his face. She didn't like the way he had worded his order. But she obediently went and gathered as much wood as she could carry. She came back and began stoking the fire. Victor returned with a sadistic grin on his face. He had a branding iron in one hand, which he placed in the fire. Get it good and glowing, then drop your drawers, Lalandra. Her eyes grew wide and she started at him in horror. At first she was too shocked to protest but then that moment passed and before she even thought about it she blurted out. And oh. He was insane. She was not going to let him burn her. She was not an animal. He roughly grabbed her by the hair and yanked her head back, his face turning red now with anger. What the hell did you just say, wench? Are you disobeying your father? The man who breaks his back every day to keep a roof over your head. No, no, no. I'm not some animal. Don't do this. She screamed at him, her fear overriding her normal cautious behavior around her father. Her screaming only earned her a mighty backhand from her father. Trina! Samantha! Get in here! 
Both women came into the room at a run. Yes, Victor? They asked then both glared at the struggling Lalandra. Hold your sister-in-law down while I heat up the iron. It's time she truly learned her place. Trina and Samantha smiled sadistically. Yes. They would finally get to do something to Lalandra. They caught her by the arms and dragged her over to the table. They slammed her down on it and pinned her. They were both farm girls themselves and stronger than they looked. Victor turned to the fire, stoking it higher and began heating up the branding iron. Still smiling, Trina yanked up Lalandra's skirts and Samantha pulled down her drawers, exposing her still bruised and welted butt. After a few moments he turned round to face them, the branding iron crackling as it met the cool air. After today, everyone will know how you are nothing more than a possession, Lalandra, because only a possession can't do simple tasks like make a meal. His hands slid across her injured buttocks before pressing the branding iron to her flesh for longer than necessary. A gut-wrenching scream of agony was jerked from her throat, and then she fainted. Trina and Samantha both stood there, holding her down and laughing evilly. Give it to her, Victor! She should know better than to be an uppity little bitch. Victor removed the branding iron and placed it in front of the fireplace before motioning to the front door. Take her outside, we'll wake her up and show her the meaning of discipline. Trina and Samantha easily dragged the unconscious Lalandra outside. Just then the sound of the wagon pulling up caught their ears. Victor emerged from the house carrying a thick leather strap, wrapping and unwrapping it around his fist to make it flexible. Father! What's happening? Josiah casually asked as he and his brother parked the wagon and came over. I'm teaching your sister her place in this house. While you're at, you might want to ask her about the man's coat in her room. Josiah said with an evil grin. Victor raised an eyebrow and glared at his unconscious daughter and cracked the strap lightly across his palm. Oh, really? Wake her up! Trina and Samantha tied Lalandra in place while Jacob came over and dumped a bucket of water on her. Lalandra sputtered, blinked, and saw the ground. No! She groaned and struggled weakly. Victor immediately cracked the strap across Lalandra's buttocks hard, watching another welt appear. Where did you get the jacket? Are you holding out on your father? She yelped. What jacket? She cried when the strap bit into her battered flesh. How had they found out? No one had been up when she made it back to the house. Did the fates hate her so much that they would let her trip into the forest be discovered? Josiah! Get the jacket! The strap tore into her flesh again as Victor swung it with power. Where Lalandra? Don't play innocent with me, you little skank! I didn't do anything wrong! She screamed through her tears. Yes, you did! How dare you whore yourself out without my permission! Where is the money? The blows rained down again and again, harder and harder. I didn't sleep with anyone. There isn't any money. She yelled, the tears flowing freely as the pain hit her nerves and brought even more agony. Josiah walked inside, retrieved the fancy coat, and came back outside waving it in the air. Here, father. Victor snatched the coat from his son and held it in front of Lalandra's eyes, slapping her face. Where did this come from, Lalandra? Who did you whore yourself out to, to get this? She clamped her lips closed and shook her head. She was not going to reveal to her father who she had met in the forest. She was starting to feel dizzy from all the blows. Well, if you are going to be a whore, then I will treat you like a whore. He began undoing his pants, pulling her head back by her hair. Jacob reached over and grabbed her hair. Let me help you, father. Yes, give it to her. She knows better than to fuck someone outside the family without permission. Trina and Samantha screeched. Victor growled as he forced the thick head of his cock into Lalandra's mouth. Take it, Lalandra. This is what you get for acting like such a whore. She gagged and tried to move her head, but Jacob tightened his grip on her hair and started forcing her head back and forth. Josiah watched the display and then grabbed Samantha and began fondling her. She squealed and kissed him hungrily. This was more like it. So busy were they with tormenting Lalandra that they didn't hear the hoof beats of the approaching horses. A strong commanding voice rang out from across the yard accompanied by the ring of steel as swords were drawn. Halt your actions, peasants. It is time to pay your taxes. Victor looked up and snarled at the guards, then down at his daughter, hissing. You are lucky daughter, we will continue this later. He stood and buttoned up his pants before addressing the party. Who goes there, trespassing on my land? Your land? Don't you mean Prince Ares' land? The mayor retorted imperiously. Victor chuckled gruffly and held his arm out to indicate the land. The prince has not been seen in years and he has not come to collect his taxes in those same years. It is by default now owned by those who work upon it. The mayor smirked. Victor was a man after his own heart. Well, I propose a deal. I'll let you alone on your land if you will hand over any unmarried women that live in this household. Victor paused a moment, considering this as he watched the mayor. How about until the prince himself arrives to claim this land, you and your tin soldiers get the fuck off my land? I'd really hate to do this by force but the winged terror is demanding tribute and it is our time to give it. The beast does not want any of the city girls. He says they aren't to his taste. So we were forced to come to the farms. And as you can see, the mayor pointed to a wagon with six frightened young women in it. You are not the only one who has to give up a daughter. So which one of the three will it be? He eyed the two women who were unbound. The third one he couldn't get a good look at because she was bound to the fence and her long black hair covered her face. Victor's eyes shifted to Lalandra for a moment as he thought deeply and spoke slowly. They are all my daughters-in-law. Married to my three sons. Trina and Samantha both gave him surprised looks. The mayor saw them, and his eyes narrowed. He snapped his fingers and one of the guards came up with a sheet of paper. 
You know it takes a liar to know another one, and you are a poor one. You two go untie the girl and bring her to me. She's the one we need. The mayor ordered as he finished looking over the paper, and then looked back up. Victor nodded to Jacob who quickly moved to the barn and returned with a lengthy ornate sword. He tossed it to his father who held it with surprising skill. You ain't taking M.Y. housemaid. As much as you'd like to protest, you're outmanned. The mayor said coldly as more guards dismounted pulling out their swords. Josiah put his hand gently on his father's arm. Dad, don't be stupid. We can buy another, better one at market, one who doesn't screw up and likes it rough. The mayor's guards eyed Victor and Josiah and waited patiently for Victor to stand down. Lelandra was praying that her father would do something stupid and that they would kill him. Then she would be free. Victor thought for another long moment before lowering his blade and nodded to the mayor. Take the wench, not that she'll be any use. She can't master even the most simple of tasks. The guards were disappointed they wouldn't get to fight, but they untied Lelandra and carried her over to the mayor's horse. Give her to me. The mayor ordered and they handed the unresisting Lelandra up to him. The guards grinned and let their hands wander across Lelandra's breasts and buttocks before they secured her in the saddle. Lelandra stiffened but didn't make a sound. If she didn't move maybe they would leave her alone. If the beast doesn't claim her, you can come and take her back. The mayor informed Victor. Victor nodded and watched the group leave, turning back towards his son before addressing Trina and Samantha. Well until we can get a new maid you two have the luxury of filling in for her. Get to work. All of you. Ugh. Trina gasped but Samantha simply rolled her eyes and headed for the house. The group had been traveling back toward the main plaza of the city. The mayor was getting anxious. Time was running out. But that didn't stop him from appreciating the fine bit of flesh the young woman in front of him posed. He took the reins in one hand while his horse trotted along the dirt path, his free hand moving to Lelandra's knee. His hands were soft, yet slightly rough from the day's work, gradually working their way up the inside of her thigh. Lelandra stiffened and tried to shift away from his hand but she couldn't go too far on a horse and she was more hurt than she realized. The mayor tightened his arms around her and hissed in her ear. Move again and I'll see to it you are the first sacrifice to the beast. His hand slid higher up her thigh, mere millimeters from her pussy. No, sir, please. I'm not that way. She whimpered as she tried to free her arms. You don't have a choice, woman. You will be put up for the beast whether you like it or not and I will have my pleasures with you while you are still in one piece. His hand cupped her mound and squeezed. Two short pudgy fingers slid inside her the motion of the horse forcing Lelandra to bounce upon them. No, no, no. She whispered brokenly but was powerless to stop his invasion of her pussy. She squeezed her eyes shut and tried to force her mind to go elsewhere, away from this raping of her body. Was that all men thought she was good for? It made her want to curl up and die. The mayor shuffled forwards in the saddle so that her bouncing ass rubbed against his bulging pants. He grunted lecherously as he felt the wetness in her pussy grow. I see you like this. Such a pity you have to be sacrificed to that beast. She didn't like it but her body seemed to. She was still a virgin but if this kept up she wouldn't be. It was the only thing she valued most and it appeared as if the mayor was going to take it by force. Her poor mother was probably rolling in her grave right now. All too soon for the mayor's liking however, they arrived back in town and he was forced to remove his fingers. He did however lick them clean in front of Lelandra's eyes, grinning lecherously. Her face turned red and she hung her head in shame when she heard several of the guards chuckling. The other women were herded from the wagon and pushed toward the town's main plaza. One of the guards came up to the mayor's horse. Need some help? He asked a little too eagerly. The mayor rolled his eyes and unceremoniously pushed Lelandra off the horse into the guard's arms. Leave her maidenhead, if it is missing the prince will have your hide hung above his doorway. The guard blanched and dragged Lelandra toward the plaza with the other girls. The townspeople had all gathered around in silence as the appointed hour occurred. Their eyes turned skyward. Lelandra gulped and looked up as well, wondering what it was she was going to see. A shadow appeared over the square followed by a horrendous roar. Prince Ares circled overhead, watching the action below before swooping down and landing lightly on the cobbles with the softest clicking of talons. The gathered women began screaming and tried to run but the soldiers' drawn swords froze them in place. Lelandra, however, hadn't run. She was staring in fascination at the creature before her. The prince stalked around the group of women, snarling and occasionally snapping at them like a sheepdog keeping a flock in line. He advanced upon the mayor, snarling. Is this all you could find? Yes, sire! The mayor stammered bowing several times, hoping it would appease him. The prince glared and turned back to the women, bellowing out commands. Line them up and strip them down. The selection begins now. The women began crying hysterically as the guards forced them to strip and line up. Lelandra was the only one not crying. She was too tired and hurt to care anymore. She dropped her clothes and stood there ignoring the gasps from the crowd when they took in the mess her back and butt presented. It was a mass of bruises and bleeding welts. And she hadn't forgotten about the brand, which now was only a dull throbbing ache. The prince strode along the line, a critical eye looking across the women. Occasionally he would cup a breast or grab a buttock. He stopped dead in his tracks however when he came upon Lelandra. His memory stirred and his vivid beautiful blue eyes stared into hers for a long moment. He straightened up and nodded to Lelandra. This one will be the payment this month. Clean her up and send her to my palace. The rest will be sent to the harem for training should I return. The women were ushered away and a guard grabbed Lelandra's arm dragging her toward a nearby home to clean her up. The prince walked over to the mayor, an angry look upon his face. Where did you find that girl? 
the mayor stammered. One of the outlying farms. He hoped that his prince would be satisfied with that answer and not harm him. Prince Ares grabbed the mayor by the throat and lifted him off the ground to his face. Which one and where is it? The one nearest the forest. The one owned by Victor and his sons. He squealed. Victor. The prince snarled and tossed the mayor away, taking flight in a roar of outrage, heading straight for Victor's farm. The mayor sat there rubbing his throat and thanked the fates he wasn't Victor. Chapter 06 The prince soared through the air above his lands, the winds whistling past his wide leathery wings. The air was punctuated with a thunderous roar as Prince Ares saw the farm come in sight, circling it like a vulture. The sound shook the house and sent the occupants inside running outside. Trina and Samantha looked up, saw the creature, and promptly fainted. Jacob and Josiah clung to each other, and Victor just stared before shaking his fist at the sky and running inside to grab his sword. The winged beast swooped low over the two sons, claws slicing at their arms and backs as he passed, only wounding them, however. He swooped round once more, in front of the group, and roared at the top of his lungs, shaking the house once more. Jacob and Josiah stayed low on the ground, cowering in fear. Victor came out of the house, his sword ready. Come to me, you foul beast! And come the beast did, claws extended, razor sharp and ready to disembowel any who got in his way. His speed was immense, moving in a blur that few could follow. He attacked Victor from the side, claws slashing at his arms and chest. Victor grunted and felt the blood running down his body as he tried to parry the beast's claws. Prince Ares quickly grew tired of the game and grabbed Victor's sword arm in his huge claw, crushing the bone in his strong grip. This time Victor bellowed in agony as he looked at his mangled arm. He grabbed the sword awkwardly in his left arm. Come on, you foul beast! The beast seemed to laugh at this and repeated the action with Victor's left arm. The next pass, however, he grabbed Victor by the throat and lifted him effortlessly off the ground. This is the price you pay for beating your daughter! Victor's face turned an ugly purple color. What do you know about my daughter? He wheezed. Another long, sadistic laugh was heard from the beast as he brought Victor close. You never know what monsters you might meet in the forest at night, Victor. I wonder how you will fare against the wolves with two broken arms? Why do you care about her? She's nothing but a lying whore. Victor struggled uselessly in the beast's grip. Oh really, Victor? This coming from a man who tries to kill his ruler. Let's see how you fare in the forest, shall we? Claws slashed deep into Victor's leg as the prince took to the air once more, heading for the forest and the predators that waited. Lelandra stood inside the house she'd been dragged to. She was still nude and she shivered in the cool air. She whirled when the door opened and a surly woman came in with a pail of steaming water and a cloth. Here. The girl snarled and threw the cloth at Lelandra before slamming the pail down on the table stalking out the door and slamming it closed behind her. Lelandra blinked in astonishment before going to the pail and dipping the cloth in it. She began slowly wiping the grime off her arms, legs, and butt. She couldn't, however, get her back cleaned. She covered her face with her hands. She wanted to find a place to hide and just cry. The door opened once more, but only for a moment before the mayor stepped in and closed it behind him, locking it. I thought you might need a hand with your back. The mayor was still trembling a little. The fear from the attack had shaken him to his core. Lelandra's head snapped up and she eyed him warily. I'm fine, she said quietly as she began backing up. She didn't trust this man. He had taken advantage of her. The mayor held a hand out for a moment. Please, this is for the good of all of us. If you aren't prepared correctly, then he will kill you and return for another. Do you really wish to be the cause of someone else's death? That gave Lelandra pause. No, sir. She didn't want that on her conscience. The mayor nodded and spun his finger a moment. I didn't think so. Now turn around so we can finish here. Her instincts told her not to trust him, but since no one else seemed inclined to assist, she had no choice. She turned around. He picked up the washcloth and dunked it into the steaming pail, gently washing away the dirt and grime from her back, watching with growing lust as the water trickled between her buttocks and over her puckered anus. She was feeling really drowsy. All she wanted to do was sleep. Exhaustion was pulling at her. After a moment his hands bent her over slightly, the washcloth sliding over her buttocks and between her legs, lingering for much longer than necessary. She stiffened and shifted to the side. She was not going to let him help anymore. Don't, she stated flatly. His hot breath fell upon her neck his hands still insistent, sliding now between her buttocks, rubbing her tight rear entrance. Stop it! She cried and tried to move away from him. He held her arms though, pushing her against the wall face first, pressing his aroused groin against her. The prince only checks if your pussy is untouched, not your ass, so relax and don't make this hard for yourself. Her eyes were wide in fright, and she screamed for help as she wildly struggled. He was going to force himself on her. Immediately there was a harsh pounding at the door, the handle rattled with strength, and the wood creaked under the strain. A loud male voice could be heard. Open this door immediately, or it will be broken down. The mayor cursed and backed away but not before slipping a finger in her pussy to finger it one last time. He leered at her and went to the door and opened it. Can I help you? He demanded crossly. The mayor was grabbed and dragged out of the house, held up off the floor by the powerful arms of the prince's manservant Lin. What are you doing here? You know the rules. No one other than the old maid is to help sacrifices prepare. The maid said the wench attacked her. So I decided to come and see what the wench was up to. The mayor whined. Oh really? 
Is that why the maid was uninjured and grumping about how timid the girl seemed? You are pathetic. Lin pushed the mayor away from him into the street. If you come near this woman again I will ensure it is your hide that hangs upon the prince's walls next. He turned back towards Lelandra. My apologies, my lady, it will not happen again. This is for you to wear at the prince's request. He laid down a wide package, opening the lid and revealing an exquisite dress. If you need help then call and the maid will return and help under my supervision. When the new man had arrived, Lelandra had frantically searched the room and finally snatched up a blanket to wrap around her body. Her face was red and she was feeling humiliated. She didn't know how many more nasty surprises she could handle. She watched the man lay down the bundle. Her eyes grew wide when she saw the dress. She'd never seen anything so beautiful or so expensive in all her life. She numbly nodded and timidly headed to the table. She carefully caressed the dress. It was made of silk. I can't wear this, she whispered. I'll get it dirty. Tears filled her eyes. She knew the mayor hadn't completely cleaned her back and she was afraid that if she put the dress on her welts would bleed again and the dress would be ruined. He smiled a moment and motioned to the table by the bed. Upon its surface were bandages and a soothing ointment. If you wish, my lady, I can aid in applying the bandages. If you do not trust me I can have the maid help. He seemed kind. She walked over to the bed and turned around so that her back was to him. She gulped and dropped the towel. He moved almost soundless off the room and gently examined her welts and wounds, tooting occasionally. That man may be good with numbers but when it comes to cleaning wounds he is a complete buffoon. Gently the washcloth was applied, properly cleaning out the dirt and grime. The soothing salve was next applied into each open wound. He professionally ignored the hiss of stinging breath as it was applied. Don't be afraid to curse my work, my lady. I have felt such a potent sting before and so know just how tempting it can be. My name, by the way, is Lin. Lastly, the soft, fluffy bandages were applied and secured to her back. It hurt, the cleaning of her wounds but not as much as the wounds themselves. She felt nothing but relief when the salve was applied in her back and but went numb. She thanked the fates for the loss of pain. Thank you, she said softly, her back still to the kind man. He soundlessly stood up again and gently removed the dress from the box, holding it up for Lelandra to view. I hope this is in your size, my lady, otherwise it will take some time to find one that fits. The dress looked like it would fit. She never had one that fit right in her entire life. Her mother had always made her clothes a size or two too big so that she could wear them for a few years. She stepped into the dress and slid it up on her shoulders. It was a perfect fit. Slowly Lin slid the hooks together, securing the dress in place and smiled as he looked Lelandra up and down. Perfect. He offered his arm to her and motions towards the door where outside awaited the palace carriage. She slid her arm through his. She was still feeling self-conscious and her hair was a mess but there was nothing she could do about that. It took five hours just to be able to brush all the tangles from her hair. She only did it once a week at home. They walked in silence towards the carriage, the door opened for her by one of the guards, and she was helped up into it. The door was closed and Lynn climbed aboard, jerking the reins to begin the horses. Lelandra studied the inside of the carriage and all. It was made of the finest of silks as well as dazzling gemstones. She was overwhelmed. She was to be a sacrifice. That meant she was going to die. Well, at least she would die quickly rather than slowly on her father's farm. As the carriage rumbled along the long, cobbled road, the beating of wings could be heard as the prince returned. The wind was blowing towards the side of the carriage, and a wet smack was heard as a piece of blood-drenched cloth struck the window. It was the patch Victor always wore above his heart. Lelandra let out a scream and then paled when she saw what it was that was on the window. She felt herself get lightheaded and she fainted. The coach immediately pulled over and Lynn quickly dismounted and entered the carriage. My lady! Gently he fanned her face in an attempt to awaken her. My lady, what happened? Lelandra revived and then weakly pointed at the window where the patch was still sticking and the blood was running down the window. Lin sighed softly and quickly drew the blind. Mind not that, my lady, probably something the wind picked up from a lost hunter. The woods are so dangerous these days. Yes, of course, she stammered. It couldn't be from her father. She was very tired and imagining things. He nodded once more and made sure she was settled before climbing aboard and starting the horses once more. She dozed off into a fitful sleep filled with monsters, weird noises and the stranger she had met in the woods. She tossed and turned as he beckoned her to follow him. She was too afraid to though she wanted to take the sadness from his eyes. The carriage jolted to a halt as it arrived in the center of the large palace courtyard, oddly devoid of any staff. The eerie silence seemed to penetrate even the deep shadows of the carriage. The only sound that could be heard outside was the rhythmic tapping of Lin's shoes as he climbed down the carriage and walked to Lelandra's door, opening it quietly. Only in sleep was her face unmarred by fear. Instead she was peaceful for the nightmarish dreams had faded as she'd fallen into a much-needed deep sleep. He smiled and very carefully lifted her into his arms, walking soundlessly into the dark palace, heading for the room reserved for guests. Not once did Lelandra stir. She had fallen into the hand of the sleep god and she wasn't about to wake any time soon. Lin gently placed her on the bed and left a lamplet so that she could see if she woke up. She was beautiful. It was a pity she was going to be sacrificed. He quietly left the room and closed the door. Once outside he locked it and headed for the east wing and Prince Ares. The prince landed on his balcony and pushed open his wide doors, midnight was fast approaching and he had not the strength to go wandering this night. For now he had a guest in his palace. The woman from the forest, 
who knew not what his true form looked like, did not know that he was the beast, and hence was unafraid. Lin rapped twice on the large double doors before unlocking one of them and entering. My liege, he said respectfully and bowed low. The prince turned towards Lin just as he began to change, groaning and crying out as he changed temporarily back to human form. He stretched his neck and sighed. You know it wouldn't be so bad if the change didn't leave me stiff as a board. Lin chuckled and walked over handing Ares a robe. She is safely in her room and sleeping soundly. Why did you drop something on the window? Ares looked at Lin with a puzzled look as he slipped on the robe. What do you mean? I didn't drop anything on the window. On the carriage window my liege. A bloody piece of cloth that caused the young lady much fright. Ares paused a moment and sighed softly, looking at his reflection in the mirror a moment. It must have caught upon me when I left him in the forest. I did not anticipate something like that would happen. Left who in the forest my liege? Lin questioned as he ushered Ares over to a steaming tub full of water. He knew that his master liked to wash away the stench of the beast. Ares shed his robe as he stood by the bath, his toned muscular body glinting in the dim light. That monster Victor. He was the one who gave the girl her wounds. I see. Lin replied quietly. Did you see the brand on her right butt cheek? Do you think he did that too? It was a very recent wound. Ares raised an eyebrow as he slid into the hot water, feeling cleansed as it caressed his skin. I did not see that recent wound, no. I will have to inquire later when she awakens. You have forty-five minutes left, sire. And she was sleeping so soundly I don't think she'll awaken before then. Lin informed him as he set out elegant clothes for his master. Ares nodded and sighed gently, running the flannel across his skin, massaging his stiff muscles. I would like so much for this girl to be the one. I long so much to be normal for more than one hour a day. I pray for it too, sire. Your kingdom needs you. The overlords have gone lax and corruption is rampant. The prince nodded and stood up, removing himself from his bath, he reached for his towel and drying himself. Indeed, they have let the cities and towns go to hell. If this girl is but a sampling of the local populace, then our work will be cut out for us when you do regain your human shape. The prince nodded as he slid into the elegant clothes that had been laid out. Perhaps it will be necessary to bring back the regiments to keep the peace till order is restored. I will begin looking among the loyal sire. Sliding on his jacket, the prince turned towards the double doors. Thank you, Lin. Now, what was there left in the pantry when you last checked? I restocked sire so we have meats, cheese, and the best wines. Everything we usually get when you bring a sacrifice here. Lin assured him. Smiling, the prince nodded once more, walking through the door while calling back. Take the night for yourself, Lin. Your help is much appreciated. Lin bowed and headed off to his quarters. He had some planning to do for his master's return to power. Ares walked in silence through the dark halls down to the refrigerated storeroom. Breathing deep, he took in the sense of foods rarely experienced recently. Ah, uh, how I have missed such sense. Upstairs in her room, Lilandra slowly awoke. She lay still trying to figure out where she was. Everything was so vague. She climbed out of bed and stumbled to the door. She tried to turn the handle but the door was locked. I will not panic, she thought to herself right before she began shaking the door handle frantically. Someone please let me out. As if on cue, the lock clicked and the door swung open and Prince Ares filled the doorway. A tray of exotic delicacies held in his arms. Good evening my lady, did you sleep well? Belandra stumbled back and looked at him warily. It was the man from the forest. What, what are you doing here? Do you serve the flying beast too? He cocked his head to the side for a moment, considering this. In a way, yes. Are you hungry? Her stomach rumbled loudly and she blushed. Yes, please, if it's not an inconvenience. The prince smiled and quietly walked into the room, setting the tray down on the table and moving two chairs to it, motioning for Lalandra to sit. Shyly she moved around him and slid into her seat. She let out gasp of pain when she sat down for the dress rubbed against the brand and some of her welts. Tears instantly welled up in her eyes. I will have Lin bring some more salve up for that brand of yours, he will help check your wounds each day. He sat down across from her, opening the bottle of wine, the scent filling the air. Was he using magic? How had he known she was branded? When he had last seen her all she had on her body was welts. And why was he talking so formally about the man who had driven the carriage? So many questions filled her head but she didn't voice them. Her father had trained her too well for that habit to break. Thank you, sir. She replied softly and stared at the plate of delicious smelling food. Please, my lady, dig in. Enjoy your meal. You deserve something good for once. Your father will not be able to harm you anymore. She picked up a treat and started to eat it but his words made her pause and give him a startled look. What do you mean by that? The mayor witnessed your abusive father's attack upon you. He informed me of the incident. He sliced a chunk of steak off and slipped it into his mouth, a look of pure enjoyment crossing his face. Just who was this man? Are you the overlord for our province? She asked timidly. He chuckled softly and shook his head at her question. No, my lady, I am not the overlord of your province. Oh. She was disappointed. Maybe if he had been local. No, people like him didn't want to make love to people like her. She didn't have a high enough station. A wince crossed the prince's face a moment. Was it time already? Time had flown by so fast. I'm afraid I must cut our liaison short, my lady. There are things I must do. Enjoy your meal. He stood up quickly and swallowed, heading for the door. Wait. She hurried to stand but the dress got twisted around her legs and she had take a moment to untangle herself. 
Ares moved quickly out of the room and locked the door behind him. She got the dress free and ran for the door only to discover it was once again locked. She banged on the door but gave up after a few minutes. She was once again imprisoned. She went back to the table to finish the food but it tasted like ash to her. Chapter 07 Lelandra woke slowly when she felt the sunlight hit her eyelids. With a groan she sat up and looked around the room. What she saw made her gasp. It was filled with shades of pale violets and pinks. It was the fabrics and the jewels that were encrusted in the furniture that made her ogle. But amidst all the wealth she felt an aura of loneliness and anticipation that made her shiver. There was a soft polite knock at the door, along with the telltale clink of silverware being balanced on a tray. My lady, are you awake? Yes, sir, I am, she said as she slid from the bed. She was still in the same gown from yesterday. She turned and looked at the bed and gasped. There was blood in some spots. Apparently some of her welts had begun bleeding again. The door clicked as it was unlocked and Lynn stepped inside. Various pieces of breakfast silverware glinted, and the smell of freshly baked bread and cooked breakfast filled the room. Did you sleep well? Yes, I did. Mostly. Her mouth watered at the smells of the food. He placed the tray down on the table, placing fresh bandages out first with a pan of hot water. If you would please sit, we'll begin with your bandages. After breakfast the master would like to see you. She blushed but then turned her back on him and dropped the dress. It pulled around her feet. Some of the welts near her lower back and butt were bleeding, as was the brand. Lynn quietly set about his task of cleaning the wounds on Lelandra's back, applying salve where needed. She hissed but didn't scream. Finally he was done, and she tried to breathe normally. The pain was slowly fading, but it still hurt. Lynn quietly moved the used bandages onto the tray from last night along with the leftover cleansing products before soundlessly moving to the large wardrobe, lifting out another stunning gown. Perhaps this would suit you better today, my lady? It is of thinner material so should help you stay cool today. She put the gown on. It was a pale shade of green that complemented her tan and her emerald green eyes shone brightly. Not that anyone had seen her eyes before because normally her hair fell into her face and hid them. He nodded as he reviewed her form. Wonderful, my lady, the master will be most pleased. He lifted the used dress off the bed and slid it into a compartment in the wall that closed with a soft click and the sound of fabric falling down a shaft. Now, please, quench your thirst and hunger. She sat down and at first ate sparingly. She was used to making whatever food she did manage to get last a long time. Lin patiently waited by the window, watching the world pass by outside, content to let his guest take as long as she needed. When Lin didn't yell at her she began to eat more until she had finished off all the food. Never had she felt so full and content. At home she had always been hungry because everyone else had eaten all the food. He waited until Lilandra had finished her meal and smiled when he saw she had finished the entire plate. My, my, you must have been hungry. Very well, if you will follow me I will escort you to the master. She rose and quietly followed him down the hall. It was eerily silent in the place. Is there no one else here besides you, the master and I? There are servants who come in once a week to do maintenance and various forms of cleaning. But other than that, none. She thought that odd but then again what did she know about the rich other than the ones from her village? Oh, she replied. It's the master's condition that is the cause. Not many people are willing to work for a beast all week you see. A beast? The beast that was in the square is the master you speak of? She squeaked. Nodding, Lin continued talking as if this was nothing strange. Indeed, my lady, he was cursed by a barbarian woman many years ago. She didn't know what to say to that so she stayed silent. She felt overwhelmed. The place was huge and she was afraid she'd never be able to remember it all. After a few minutes of walking, the pair came to a set of huge double doors. Lin lifted the large knocker and rapped sharply. My lord? Your guest is ready to see you. A low growl came from inside the room, the soft clicking of talons heard for a moment before the prince spoke in a demon's voice. Enter. She shivered a little in fear at the evil she heard in the voice. But then she steeled herself. She hadn't run from the beast when it was selecting her. She was not going to run now. Lin opened the door for her, and she walked inside. The door closing made her jump and her heart thumped faster in fear. Resolutely she continued into the dimly lit room. Hello? The deep, menacing voice floated from the dark shadows of the throne room, however this time it seemed different. Somehow the evil within it seemed somewhat elegant and refined. Good morning, my lady. Would you care to tell me your name? Lee Lalandra, sir. She answered softly, her eyes on the floor, her fearful breathing loud in the quiet room. The beast hummed in the darkness, feigning deep thought. In the deep shadows came the sounds of talons clicking along the flagstones, his outline just visible in the dark and no more. Do you know why you are here, Lalandra? I am to be sacrificed. That is what the mayor of our province said. Sacrificing is the term they use for the women who unfortunately did not survive their time with me. There was a sound from the beast, a breath of wind that sounded distinctly like a sigh. But that was not the reason they were chosen. Lelandra was confused. Then why were they chosen? Her natural curiosity made her look up cautiously. She couldn't see the beast in the dim lighting, only a mere shadow. The beast paused a moment and looked directly at Lelandra, his eyes bright comets in the choking darkness. You have not heard the tale of why I became like this. The beast paused a moment and looked directly at Lelandra, his eyes bright comets in the choking darkness. Are you afraid, Lelandra? Afraid of what the reason might be? She would be lying if she said no. Yes, I am afraid, but I'd rather not know. 
I only want to know if you're going to kill me. Chuckling softly, the prince stepped forwards into the light, revealing his monstrous form. That my lady depends entirely on how you handle me. She backed up a step. Handle you? She looked at him with innocent eyes. She really didn't understand this creature. But those eyes. They reminded her of something. Something important that she was forgetting. Of course, why else would I choose such a beautiful woman? From between his legs began to length the most enormous cock that Lalandra had ever laid eyes on. It continued to grow for several minutes, inch after inch of flesh emerged till a full eighteen extremely thick inches were visible. She gaped and began backing up until her back hit the door. No, she whispered, sick with horror. She had been sent her to be a sex slave to this, this creature. Yes, Lalandra, you will do as you are destined or you will die in the attempt. Either you take it willingly or I will do so by force. Force, of course, tends to shorten one's life expectancy down to a few minutes. Now she knew what he meant when he said the others hadn't survived it. She turned around and tried frantically to open the door but it was locked from the outside. With a whimper she gave up and ran toward the nearest corner, her mind racing as she tried to come up with a plan to save her life and virginity. The prince cut Lelandra off, his hand grasping her arm, however her wrist slipped from his grasp and she tumbled to the floor, the dress flapping up her back, revealing her welts. He froze as he stared at the wounds, remembering his reasons for punishing Victor. He turned away and returned to the shadows, speaking softly. Leave me be Lelandra, you will heal first then we will do as I have told you. She lay there trembling and confused. She had been positive he was going to rape her, and then he suddenly stopped. She began to cry softly as she came to her feet. She edged her way to the door but this time found it unlocked. She opened it and flung herself out into the hallway and into the startled arms of Lin. Lin caught her in his arms gently and held her for a moment trying to calm her. My lady, what's wrong? He. It. So big, hurt, let me go. She babbled as she cried. Lin held her solidly and shook her to get her attention. Lilandra, please. The shake snapped her back to reality and she focused her green eyes on him. The monster tried to rape me but then stopped and told me to leave and to heal. Lin seemed perfectly calm at her words. What can I say? The master likes his bedmates to be fit and healthy when they take his gift. If this man meant that monstrous cock was a gift, then she was going to have to find a way to get away from this place. Come, my lady, perhaps a walk in the Hall of Honor will ease your mind. Still trembling, Lelandra took his hand. She was only too glad to be going away from the room with the beast. Ares sighed and growled as he walked towards the balcony windows, staring at the landscape. Why had he stopped? Because he didn't want to be remembered as a man like Victor by this woman. He didn't want this poor abused woman's last moments to be that of pain and fear. He let out a roar and flew back out into the night. This story is continued in the next part. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allow members to request future stories and themes. Links are in the description. Thank you for listening.